look at you, girl. Walking around, confidence and a smile. No one can take the crown. Bask in her glory. A crown tells a story of the queen that dwells inside. Yeah. A crown. Adjust your crown, sis. Respect the crown. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Her Crown Podcast. And as usual, I got to check in on my girls and see how everybody's doing right now. Gabrielle, how are you feeling? I am tired, but um, grateful and feeling good, you know, just making it through another work week and keeping it pushing. I got a, a coffee table today and the dimensions are a little too big, so <laughs> I'm a little disappointed don't you, by don't that. You hate that when you get some furniture and it just ain't what it's supposed to be. Now you just stuck with it. Yeah, and I love the table, but I'm like, it has to go. It has to oh. go back. Well, we gonna figure that out. I'm gonna pray about it for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> How you doing, Lee? I am okay. You know, um, this working from home with this toddler. Mm. I'm on a struggle bus, y'all. I'm really on a struggle bus. And when 4.30 hits every day, I'm supposed to be excited because I'm getting off work. Nah. No. I'm just starting my next job. Well, not even starting. I'm continuing my second job that's been, you know, going on all day. So I'm on the struggle bus right now. I mean, it is almost May and we've been home for a while. So, but it's hump day. So guess what? I'm halfway through my week. So Yes. Well, God bless you for that, because I'm on the struggle bus, too, and I don't have a kid. I just have a four-legged kid that um, keeps me busy in between work, and I'm just, you know, I told y'all before, I was struggling during this pandemic, just staying focused, doing the work-from-home thing constantly is not my jam, so I'm just trying to push through, Um, and we have a special guest in the building, because we are going to be focusing on our mental health and our mental well-being today. And so I thought, you know, we thought it would be great to have somebody who has some experience in that field. So I want to uh, welcome Miss Anna uh, Carolina Gomez on the platform with us. Everybody, warm welcome. Yes. Warm welcome. Yes. welcome. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much taking time out of your day to speak with us. No, I appreciate you guys inviting me. I think it's a, a very important topic that gets overlooked all the time. And honestly, I, I just I feel so excited to be here and just to kind of have these type of conversations that are, you know, just really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just to talk a little bit, a brief background about our guest, and I'm just going to go ahead and call her Carolina because we don't <laughs> call her by her first name around here. Uh, but Carolina is, you know, a mental health professional. She is a licensed professional counselor with over 15 years of experience in the field. Um, she has experience working with children, 
in-home counseling, dealing with substance abuse issues. And currently she's working with our military families and focused in the division of child abuse and domestic violence. So she has a wealth of knowledge that she can contribute to the conversation. So we again, welcome you to this platform and we thank you for your time. Thank you. um, so just to get started, I first wanna ask you Carolina, what brought you into this profession? Like what made you decide I'm going to work in the mental health field, get into counseling? So I remember um, I was like 18 or 19 starting college. You know, I, I started with the nursing program and mm -hmm. I was like, that's not going to work out for me. Then I went into business mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that just doesn't, you know, it's not for me. And I took an elective in psychology and I just found, you know, everything about it just so interesting. And I went in with that question of, I wonder why people do the things that they do. Mm. So um, I continued on that route and Frustrating enough, um, I realized that people do the things that they do for a million different reasons, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes you won't have an answer to that. So um, I continued on, you know, taking classes and I stumbled across my teacher who was looking for interns um, to do applied behavior analysis, hmm. which meant working with children with autism primarily or, or children with special needs. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, there was a behavior analyst that had a program and I would just implement that. I was the behavior assistant. Mm -hmm. um, so while I was there going into people's homes, I realized that I ended up talking to the parents mm. more and I enjoyed, um, although I did love working with my clients um, with special needs, I was more drawn into um, talking to the mother and, and mm. how is she struggling with having, you know, this type of child or what are some of the stressors in her life mm -hmm. that she kind of encounters or, and what are the stressors for the siblings? So I was more curious on that path um, so once I uh, graduated with my bachelor's, uh, you really can't do much with a bachelor's in psychology. So I decided to go into counseling mm -hmm. and, um, anyone starting their career knows that you just get whatever job you're going right. to get. Right. So, um, I got into the substance abuse field cause I used to go to school and live in Florida and that was very big over there. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of that working with families, um, doing drug screenings and, mm -hmm. and working with adolescents, um, that were either court ordered or their parents wanted them to go through treatment. So that was, um, a very interesting time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I would go back into substance abuse per se, but, mm -hmm. um, Definitely. Well, why? What, what, what was it about it that didn't really fit for you? So, you know, in the field of psychology, you can go so many different routes in so many different directions, which is what I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned, I did substance abuse. I did apply behavior analysis, working with children with special needs. Like, I, you know, you have the ability to go on and try so many different things. And I just realized that substance abuse just wasn't for me mm -hmm. because the relapse prevention rate was, you know, really high. It's like mm -hmm. 80% or more. It's mm -hmm. just, it's really frustrating mm -hmm. whether you're working with adolescents, whether you're working with adults. And I just, it, it just wasn't something I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, 
after that, I, you know, the one of the last jobs that I had before moving here into the DMV area was definitely um, working in a jail. And I definitely saw the the DSM-5 all, mm-hmm. you know, develop mm-hmm. in front of me within um, the six months I was there. So, I mean, it's very, um, it's a very interesting place. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're going to get into this field, it's something that you're going to have to be passionate about because yeah. you will struggle a lot. You will go through a lot of hurdles. You mm-hmm. will learn a lot about not only people, but about yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're not self-aware of your own issues and you're your own struggles, then you're really no benefit or no help for anybody else. Is there assistance with that? Like um, for you, as you're working with other people on how to address those triggers, maybe that some of your clients raising you and trying to hold those back so that that doesn't impact how you serve or or, um, interact with those those folks? Yeah. So, um, you know, you have to have uh, good supervisors available to you so you can bring that up during supervision, you know, and you have to be aware of like, and ask yourself, why am I feeling triggered? Or why am I Mm -hmm. feeling this certain type of way? Um, I know working, I work right now with the division of, you know, domestic violence and child abuse. And some, a lot of the cases that we get in are really, they're really tough, like Mm -hmm. all, and we have to present it. And not only do you have to present the information that you have, but then you hear all your other colleagues presenting Mm -hmm. all this awful information Mm -hmm. and some cases i mean i'm sometimes you do get very cynical because you hear it so much and it's so bad Mm -hmm. um but there's some cases that really do touch you and um they you you can't forget about them so Mm -hmm. um i feel very lucky to work with nine other therapists where i do trust them and I can say, hey, you know, so-and-so, can I go into your office? I really need to talk to you about this and kind of just vent. And and the other person knows that that's exactly what you're doing, kind of processes things mm. with you. And um, typically that kind of does it for me at this point. I never really had to, you know, go into therapy or anything like that for work purposes. Cause mm-hmm. once I do leave the office, I kind of just shut off and go home. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's something that you have to learn to do is, is really leave all your, all your work at work and, mm-hmm. you know, in your home, be really your home. Um, and, and definitely do engage in hobbies and do things that you do enjoy because you don't want to bring all those things with you. Yeah. That must totally. be hard though. Yeah. Just being able to manage like your day-to-day and then go home and shut it off. I mean, how long did it take you to kind of gain those skills to be able to shut it off and just be able to move forward into the next thing? Um, I really, I really didn't have too much trouble with it, honestly. And then, you know, with, with, as time goes by, you kind of just get used to that because you do meet so many people and you do hear so many stories time after time and you hear so much trauma and so many, I mean, my list goes on until the terrible stories that I get to hear. So, um, and that's what I, what I'm saying, like, after a while, it's not, that you mean bad by it, but it's kind of like, you're like, oh, right, I already heard this, or I already know about this, or there's a worse story than that. So it doesn't shock me, or it doesn't face me. And I know a lot of my coworkers and colleagues 
feel the same way too. Like there, you know, we have all of us kind of have like a dark humor, like dark mm-hmm. sense of humor because we're like, oh, okay, or we're really sarcastic about things because that's kind of what gets us by. <laughs> it's like having that tough skin. You mm-hmm. have to have that in order to work in the profession, it sounds like. For sure. And, and it also sounds kind of like a coping mechanism, even mm-hmm. so, because you are dealing with so many people's issues and traumas and to not inhabit that yourself and bring it, you know, into your personal life and have it affect you. I guess you would have to be have a little a, a bit of a level of cynicism um, almost reminds me of what I've heard some police officers say mm-hmm. about how they feel about the way they look at things in the world, because they only mostly see the worst into society or whatever. So is that's kind of like the lane that you have. That's kind of the way you process all of the worst information that you're taking in. And, but the good thing is, cause I was wondering too, and I'm glad you asked that Gabby, how do you, you process, how do you keep it from you know, impacting you in your daily life and impacting your mental health. Because I would assume, you know, taking on all that, you know, energy that I would probably need a counselor to to cope and get by. Like, it's hard enough getting through your own stuff, but you're taking on so many other people's issues as well. It's not for everyone. And you do um, have people sometimes that come in the agency and you can see that they can't handle the work Mm -hmm. and you are concerned for them because you're like, well, maybe you should think about doing something else or going to a different field because this is clearly not for you. And this is, you know, it's not going to get any better as time goes by. Um, So I know that whenever I run into a student or someone that wants to go into the field, I didn't have that guidance Mm. when I first started. Like, you know, when you are in college, you get assigned what, like a school counselor or whatever, Mm -hmm. academic counselor, whatever they call them. Um, And they really don't tell you about the reality of how it is going to be in the real world once you do graduate and get that diploma. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had talks with people that were trying to go through that process. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to keep it real with you. This is how it is. It's Mm -hmm. not it's you're if you're really passionate and you're really curious and you really, truly want to help people and you Mm -hmm. see yourself doing counseling, then this is how it's going to be. But if you're doing it for other reasons, thinking that you're probably going to do private practice and it's going to come to you so easy. And I think all of us going to that program thinking like that, but the reality is private practice is really extremely hard Mm -hmm. and and it comes with its own struggles and it's things that you don't even think about. Cause I even, you know, tried to do that for about two years and I was drained Mm -hmm. by trying to keep a full-time job and do private practice. So um, I kind of let go of that and just focus working with, you know, an agency and, and going from there. So I always say like, if, if you know anyone that wants to go through the process, um, I would love to help them. I would love to give them the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Got the truth serum. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For those who are less familiar, private practice, I guess is like, um, just owning your own and, and you're uh, the business person who's drawing in, you're having to generate your own business and actually provide the services as well. uh, I'm assuming. Right. Right. So there's so much that goes into it. Um, You have to create your own website. You're, you have to build your own network. Um, 
go out to maybe lunches or wherever you can to get your name out there, your brand Mm -hmm. out there. Um, You have to figure out, go into different panels. So panels with different insurance companies and figure out even their billing Mm -hmm. system, which can be really hard. By the time you do all of this, and then people only want to see you between three to, I don't know if you want to work till eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. So your schedule is very limited. Or if you want to, you know, work weekends like Saturdays or Sundays, a lot of people, that's when they have off, right? Like off Mm -hmm. when they're Mm -hmm. off from work or weekends. Um, So when you take all that into consideration, by the time I saw clients, I was exhausted. Like I didn't really want to see anybody Mm -hmm. at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you um, from your experience, because we do want to get into like the general, like, wellness and well-being mental well-being um I feel like it's just in the last few years that we are starting to get more comfortable talking about mental health figuring out how to address it um and and not talk about it in such a negative light because for a long time to admit that you had any type of mental health issue or or even that you were just going through something. It's almost like, oh, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? This, that, and the third. Um, so from your perspective and your experience, what do you find have been like the most common like misconceptions about mental wellness, mental well-being, and even seeking treatment for it? So the most common misconceptions are, I'm not crazy. I I really don't need anyone to tell me how to live my life or tell me what I need to do. Um, Or another thing that I hear is, why do I need to go see someone when I can just talk to my friend? Mm. And yeah, I mean, friends are great. They don't give you the most objective advice because they Mm. are your friends. Right. Um, Right. And and they're looking out for your, you know, for your feelings or whatever the case may be. and obviously they don't have the training that we do get, but um, that that's kind of like along the lines, like, or people feel like I'm not, I'm not depressed. Like I'm not right. diagnosed with depression or anxiety. I don't need medication. Why do I need to go talk to someone? So it's the, the level of severity has to be like extremely high for you to seek out some sort of help. And then also you do have you know, the, the differences um, between men and women, right? Mm -hmm. Women are more open to seeking treatment because it's socially acceptable when a man it's not right. You know, and even when you think about men and women, just even how we interact, like women Mm -hmm. were more emotional and and we bond with other um, friends by disclosing information and talking and sharing secrets and doing all these things when men they're more um, on the physical aspect of things mm-hmm. like they go out and they do activities to kind of bond you know they'll go play basketball or play a sport or whatever the case may be so um that and even that is is different too and I will say this you mentioned women being able to have you know each other to kind of communicate with and share with me being someone who suffers from anxiety and depression, I find that for me, talking has helped me so much. Being able to release, it's, you know, I need that release. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of times I do get that from having conversations or going to the gym, whatever it may be. But I feel like a lot of times 
individuals are ashamed to talk about the fact that maybe they are medicated um, and just understanding that it's okay. What would you say to someone that is struggling with that? So, you know, there's that big stigma. And for some reason, like, if you have migraines, or if you have low blood sugar, or whatever the case may be, it's okay for you to go and seek a doctor mm-hmm. or a specialist. But why is it not okay for you to seek professional help when it, you know, has to do with your the way that you're feeling and in mm-hmm. your mental state that you know, mm-hmm. that's what I don't really it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, you should treat it the same way that you treat your whole physical Absolutely. body. Absolutely. And that's something um, I think in, that maybe even the mental health community um, can better market to the masses. Like the same way that you go for your annual physicals, the same way if something is really bothering you physically, you'll take the time out and say, okay, let me go see somebody. You know, mm-hmm. when you're having those mental struggles, you should, if you can and you have the resources, seek some help because you don't even know how far that mental anguish will take you or whatever you're going through. I know um, I personally have never had any type of mental health treatment, counseling, nothing of the sort. Um, And I've had moments in my life where I felt like I was going through a traumatic experience that I couldn't necessarily figure out how to get out of. But I just, I didn't even have the language or the vocabulary to say, I think I need to talk to somebody professional about it. Um, most of the time, I just kind of worked through it. And I think the, the, the closest and the only time I came close to um, seeking therapy is when I was going through like a really, really bad and traumatic breakup um, mm-hmm. because it was um, a relationship that became very, very toxic. Um, and I was just in a real kind of like down phase in my life. My career was not where I wanted it to be. Um, my love life was just, it was trash. It was horrible. Um, and in particular with this person, I felt like I was kind of always on a emotional roller coaster with this person. And it got to a, fe- a point where we were constantly arguing. I felt like I was walking on eggshells and then it got like physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of like one of the lowest points in my life, um, because I kind of always saw myself as being like a mentally strong person and not weak and to find myself in that type of a relationship where, um, I felt like I was somebody letting somebody verbally, you know, mistreat me. And then it got physical and I was just like emotionally spent. So I wanted to go talk to somebody about it. And I came very close to talking to somebody about it, but um, it was embarrassing for me to even acknowledge that I was going through that. Like, I didn't even know how to be able to say that out loud. Like, this is something that is happening to me. Like somebody that I love has gotten physical with me and I don't even know I don't know how to process it. And I don't even know how I allow it it to happen. Like it just made me feel um, super weak. So. I mean, you you touched on, on domestic violence, right? Which is a whole nother animal. We could have a whole nother session on 
you know, that specific topic. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've shared with you in the past that definitely I went through a similar situation where I was also in a relationship of domestic violence. And me being in the field of psychology, I was embarrassed because I was like, I know better. I know that mm-hmm. this doesn't feel right. And at the same time, I completely understand where you're coming from, where you say that you don't tell anybody like it is Mm -hmm. your job to Mm -hmm. keep it a secret. It is your job to make everyone believe that everything is fine. So if there's a message that I ever want to send out to anyone that's having this type of situation or this type of relationship is that it is a huge red flag. If you ever feel embarrassed that you cannot talk to a friend or a loved one about a situation that is going on regarding your relationship because there should be nothing that you can't talk about that is a fact that is an absolute fact and um I didn't even speak it out loud until I was I was way like more than a year out of the relationship probably two or three years out of the relationship before I even told like my best friends and she was like Mm -hmm. I can't even believe you went through that like I can't even believe that was going on so like And this is why it's so important to kind of like normalize those things, because I don't even want to give the perception like that the relationship was constantly physically abusive Mm -hmm. because it was not. It literally only got physical between us once. But like just like going home that night and seeing like even bruises on my thighs. So one one time one time is enough, you know, and at the same time, it's more than just the physical aspect. It's the emotional aspect that kind of weighed you down. And remember, you know, like I said, this, this topic is, it's, it's so complex, but it definitely starts with verbal and it's, it's the little things. And then it definitely escalates to finally, you know, you cross so many boundaries and it does get physical, but, um, you know, and that's the thing, because it's like the physical part goes away. Like, I don't see bruises on, on my legs, right? I don't feel that trauma in my brain from being shooken up. But, like, all these years later, like, just thinking about it, it still, like, kind of wears on me. So maybe I do need some damn therapy because I hate the fact that it still bothers me. And I hate the fact that I even was in that situation and I let it happen. And I also hate the fact that even after it did happen, that I went back to the relationship. Like I still tried to work it out with the person, even though clearly it, it had been bad for so long, but it's almost like, I don't, I don't know. I felt like almost like I was in this weird cycle that I couldn't get out of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is a cycle, it's definitely a cycle. And, you know, it definitely does sound like you need, you know, to talk about these things and process them, you know, so that you can figure out, you know, how not to repeat the cycle again, because that's the problem that we get into these type of relationships and we don't realize like what we go through. And then we get into another relationship and then we repeat the same thing over and over, or we come into another relationship with those fears or, you know, with, with kind of like that thought, like, this is going to happen to me again, or, oh, he, he said this, so it must be that, 
So um, definitely, I think that, you know, I've, I've been out of that relationship now for about four years and it took me a while. It took mm. me, you know, a year or two and, and definitely a lot of process. And especially when I um, started this job, you know, with domestic violence and having mm. to talk to victims and having to get their statements and a lot of the stuff that would happen to them. I'm like, Oh my God, it's like reliving my own mm -hmm. life. So um, I definitely had to come to terms with a lot of stuff. So I, I do encourage you to, you know, go talk to someone about it. Definitely process, you know, any unresolved feelings that you may have about it because it definitely is important. Well, I was going to ask, if you have any, um, like a list maybe of, of other signs, because I think, you, like you said, the physical is, comes after all these other things, the verbal, mm -hmm. um, but maybe uh, if there's anything else that a person should be looking out for, just maybe some unresolved issues that that person might be exhibiting or, or even. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's really hard, right? Because when you think about of the beginning of the relationship, you're so excited. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're releasing all these endorphins and everything's mm -hmm. amazing and nothing that that person can do is wrong. And you're overlooking a lot of things. And uh, one of the classes that we do teach where I work is, you know, teaching about slowing things down and, and making decisions based on, you know, uh, things that not sliding into situations like, um, let's move in together, you know, completely, right. or let's um, sign, you know, uh, my name on the car or, you know, trying to moving so fast in the relationship when things can go a little bit slower. So just keeping that in mind. And when we talk about someone, when we talk about domestic violence, we talk a lot about power and control, mm -hmm. right? Like, that person is trying little by little to gain that power and control you. So they can do this by many different ways. You know, they can start controlling who you hang out with, mm -hmm. what family members you can see. Um, they can start just by checking your phone. Let me, let me check your phone randomly to see who you've been texting. Um, things like, I, oh, you know, baby, I really just want you to call me after work. And then it turns into, you know, that, oh, that's so sweet. He's just looking after me. But then mm -hmm. it, it turns into, why are you 10 minutes late? Were you out there cheating on me type of, mm. you know, questions. So with time that will start coming out when you see someone that's controlling you, that's not um, letting you just be your own person and your own individual. Um, and, you know, those are kind of like the red flags, mm -hmm. you know, isolating you from your friends, isolating you from your family, kind of keeping tabs on you and just um, constantly asking you questions to control you. And so I've noticed a lot of times individuals that have experienced any type of domestic dispute um, or just in general gone through something, uh, they become depressed they start to have anxiety about things that don't even have to do with that situation. But I feel like it's a trigger for other things that come in line with mental health. How do you feel about that, I guess? Or is that correct? You meaning like if you're in that type of relationship, it kind of triggers depression and anxiety. Right. I mean, right. So when you, when you think about being in this type of situation, I mean, you know, like we mentioned earlier, 
you're definitely trying to normalize everything and you're definitely trying to, you have no support because you're Mm -hmm. trying to hide the situation. You're trying to hide the relationship because if you were to tell your loved ones, like your family and friends, Hey, you know, this person calls me names, this person put their hands on me, this person does X, Y, and Z. What do you think your family member or your loved one would tell you? They would tell you, girl, get out yeah. of there, girl, you don't need to be in that situation. And, you know, it, it, you would start, you would think, oh, my God, I don't want to worry my loved one. And also, I don't want them to look at my partner, you know, in a bad light. Right. Um, so that person, that victim is definitely going through so much internally trying to just kind of keep things under wraps. Um, so with all of those emotions and all of those things hidden, of course, you're going to develop anxiety. Of course, you're going to develop depression and, or maybe some sort of sickness because eventually your body is not going to be able to hold it. You have absolutely no support, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, the perpetrator is definitely getting what he or she wants because you're at that moment that, you know, the perpetrator is all you have, you know, they completely isolated you from everything and anyone that could possibly help you. So if you look at it in that way, it's like all these different factors that go into play all at the same time. So, I mean, it's, it's a very, um, it's a tough situation. And then, and for all these different reasons, you know, that's why when we talk about, you know, I feel so ashamed. I can't believe I went back. There's more than just that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And how do you find women in general, um, whether it's dealing with, you know, a domestic violence situation, sexual abuse, grief from whatever type of traumas that they've gone through in their life, that they haven't addressed in your personal experience do you see that manifest in like um destructive behaviors or um just you know not like in their daily life and their interpersonal relationships does that manifest in like negative ways um what are the signs that you've seen from those unaddressed triggers and traumas yeah, so if if you go through a traumatic experience and you don't address them and you do abs- and you're not aware of them or you mm-hmm. kind of just push them to the side, you know, you tend to repeat those cycles over mm-hmm. and over and you know with different relationships. It could be mm-hmm. a different man or a different woman, but you're just trying to resolve those issues and you you're not really solving the core of what's going on. So, um you know, if, if you have someone that went through a really traumatic childhood experience, they might mm-hmm. turn or, or maybe let's say they, they feel um, neglected or they feel like their parents are not there for them emotionally. Maybe they provide financially, but they're not there. They might turn to a group um, at school or, or a group that might be into drugs or maybe mm-hmm. into alcohol. And that's where you kind of, you know, that person goes into that aspect of things. Um, you can also see someone that is um, constantly jumping from one relationship to another relationship mm. because they feel that need of, of feeling that abandonment issues that could be mm-hmm. or, or not wanting to be alone, feeling really, you know, those people that are constantly from one relationship to another and the other and the other. And it for some reason, it just doesn't work out for them. 
Mm. So it's kind of at some point in your life, you have to ask yourself like, okay, this is a pattern. There has to be something that maybe I'm not, it's not clicking for me, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you can see it in that way. Um, So I would, you know, it definitely um, manifests itself in relationships manifest itself um into maybe developing into anxiety issues or depression mm-hmm. um low self-esteem mm-hmm. um seeking validation you know from others in very unhealthy ways so mm-hmm. it could be numerous different things so would you say that like i guess as the result of trauma that maybe i, I mean maybe we kind of touched on this earlier that it's it's it really is like going to the doctor for your physical health issues you need to check in on a frequent basis if it's consider it like an annual checkup or um at some other frequency um just to to keep managing and and dealing with whatever that trauma is to to prevent any of those unhealthy um behaviors or yeah you know yes absolutely and you know when you when you go through a trauma sometimes as a child you really don't even recognize that is a trauma as an adult right Mm -hmm. because you're like for example something simple as a move or something simple as a divorce you're like Mm -hmm. oh well my parents got divorced when I was nine you know and maybe at the time now that as an adult you don't see it as traumatic but as yourself as a Mm nine-year-old it was traumatic and how did that affect you how do you view relationships because of this divorce you know um then and you talk about parents being involved you know what is your relationship with your mom what is your relationship with your dad and what are the takeaways um when you kind of sit down and analyze how it affects you today as an adult all those things are really important you know we always talk about um dating other people and and mm-hmm. you know seeking qualities in other people but it's important to kind of date yourself and get to mm-hmm. know yourself mm-hmm. and and work on yourself you know because you know, the more um, you do, the more growth you will have just as a human being as, and as a person. Absolutely. And I, um, like, I agree with that because like, even after I got out of that unhealthy relationship, like I just kind of went cold turkey on dating for like two mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Like I just was like, okay, I need time to kind of like process what I just went through. Um, you know, figure out why I even kind of accepted it and just to kind of be okay, just being by myself. And, and I was also kind of like, I was just drained, right? Like after you go through something like that, I didn't want to go through the trouble of getting to know anybody else, trying to open up again. I didn't want to, um, open up those old wounds, truth be told. Um, and I, I think in a way that I feel like I shrunk a bit in that relationship. Um, I became very passive. I, I felt like he was a much more dominant personality. Um, and I didn't speak up a lot about things because I because he had such aggressive personality that it would he would be in my face and down my throat about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to deal with the argument. But I also didn't l- like feeling like I didn't have a voice. So I feel like now... <laughs> when I do engage with somebody on a romantic level, like if something bothers me, I'm actually more prone to like address it like head on and, and, and feel validated in my feelings and in my experience 
and not let somebody else overtake me uh, because I felt like so much of me in that relationship was just kind of like allowing him to say what he want being like cowering because I didn't want to deal with the argumentative you know situation and and kind of losing myself in that so um, I do feel like that's kind of like somewhat of a positive that came out of it for me is that um, I found my voice in a way mm-hmm. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some some might say that, you know, she a little too opinionated now. Maybe, you know, she she expresses herself a little too much, but I almost, I don't know, like, I don't want to go back to being that. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to find a happy medium in that, but Trying to be, trying to soften it up, but being yeah. able to protect yourself yeah. in the process. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's hard too, because when we think about, you know, you have to think your, about yourself as a very special person, right? Like mm-hmm. whoever you have around you has to be positive people, people that strive for, you know, success and all these right. different things, because you know, the people that you have around you do influence you. So Mm -hmm. when you are in these type of relationships, you know, someone that's constantly putting you down, calling you names, telling you, you know, I'll give you some examples, you know, from, from my end, like I was told, especially towards the end, like I, you know, I was called a bitch a lot and I was, Mm -hmm. you know, said, you know, that's why nobody likes you because that's why you have no friends. You know, Mm -hmm. you have such a bitch face or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So eventually when you hear it so many times and you know, you're living with that person and that person is supposed to be your partner, you start Mm -hmm. to believe it. So I completely understand when you get out of these relationships, your self-esteem is like to the floor, completely to the floor, because all you've heard this time is how, you know, you're a shit person, how, you know, you're good for nothing or because how unlovable you are or Mm -hmm. all these things that are wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So that's when, you know, when you're, you're finally out is when you can see like, no, you know, people actually love me. People actually like me. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. They want to hang out with me. And like you said, uh, this, we don't know why we go through the things that we go through, but Mm -hmm. they're so key. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. for you, it, this relationship was so key in finding out, you know, I will never right. you know, be spoken to that way, or I will speak up and I will mm-hmm. never be, be belittled in that way ever again, type of thing. I, I wonder about that too, in terms of the reaction to a, a trauma or a situation. And for me, um, one that I have noted is, uh, some bullying in middle school, mm-hmm. um, and the adult version of me, I do feel like has a tendency to overreact to behavior that seems even similar or close to what I experienced during those years. And some days I feel like it's an out-of-body experience. Mm. Um, I am reacting and it may not even be valid. I, I had mm-hmm. a specific instance with my family where later they were telling me like, whatever you thought was going on wasn't real. Mm-hmm. But you, but. I still have difficulty even hearing that. Yeah. And my reaction was very visceral and like, I'm protecting me and I'm protecting that inner child in me that couldn't speak up when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in those instances, do, are there any recommendations on how to 
how to tap into like, let me not go too far in the opposite direction where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm overreacting to, to try to combat what I thought I wasn't able to do in a, in a different situation in my life that's not necessarily tied to what's happening to me right now. Yeah, if you're definitely getting triggered and you're, you know, things are definitely, you know, still you feel that pain still, it's important that, you know, go to counseling, talk it out, mm-hmm. figure out not only why it's affecting you, but how is it affecting you? Because it's mm-hmm. going to affect many aspects in your life. You know, one day, maybe a coworker could say something that triggers that, you know, uh, some bullying situation when you were younger, and it might not even be like that like you mentioned. So this time it was family. Next time it could be a partner. Next time it could be, you know, um, your own children or whatever the case may be. So if that's what I'm talking about, if we don't process these things, if we don't work through them, they're going to be there. They're going to be just right there, just hanging out until they get triggered. And then you'll get these explosive reactions because I definitely seen that, you know, from other people. Um, and, and they say we as women are emotional beings. Mm-hmm. So all we already have that kind of over our heads and dealing with that. Um, and there have been some reports that indicate that women experience depression and anxiety at higher rates than men. Would you agree or disagree with that? So I feel like because of culture and because of society, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of men or statistics for men they just go unreported you know men um it's hard for them to i i always find it fascinating right because when um when you talk to women and they're Mm -hmm. like oh my best friend i know my best friend's birthday their color favorite Mm -hmm. color i know um her favorite food i know just every single little detail about their best friend that is their best friend they talk about everything but when you ask the guy sometimes like oh what is your best friend like i don't know well (laughs) when's when's his birthday i don't know what's Mm -hmm. his favorite color i don't know we don't talk about that so Men are by by society and culturally sometimes they're taught to not talk like yeah. don't talk about your feelings don't talk about what's happening don't talk about what's going on so it's more acceptable for women to be like you know what I need to go talk to someone or I need to go see a therapist or I need you know whatever the case may be for men mm-hmm. then when they do it if they do it they do it in silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's very frustrating because some of them are are just I I've run into couples, a lot of couples, whether it's friends or just people that I meet that um it's you know, they're having a lot of relationship issues and it's the man that's like, I don't want to go to couples counseling. Why do we need mm-hmm. someone else to come into our life and tell us what to do? You know, you can actually see that um because I, I am a reality TV junkie. Um <laughs> But there's a this show called Married to Medicine that I like to watch. And there's one married couple where the wife is saying, like, you know, there are these things going on in our marriage. There are these issues that we have. Like she, I feel like she's a more, um, she's very driven. She's very ambitious. And he kind of wants her to take on the role of like, all right, I understand you a doctor, but you a mommy. Like, that's your job too. Like you need to take care of the family. And, you know, she wants to go into counseling like they went into counseling for a little bit but um I don't think he was very in tune with it or in agreement with it and so they stopped and she wants to go back and he's like you know I don't want somebody else in my business like why do we need to go talk to other people so um 
I think that's a hard dynamic to to deal with, especially if one person in the relationship does have some issues that they want to talk to like an impartial third party about because you you never know maybe who the counselor might give you some pointers that you can work on and also give you some pointers that you work on so it, it could definitely be beneficial for both parties but like everybody got to want to come to the table you understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. and that's the difficult part about I think especially if you're in a relationship and you're going through issues and you do want to talk to somebody but your partner is not um, willing to take that step with you walk through that door with you yeah it's very hard I see it all the time and it's almost like you know it's almost like let's say you're playing a board game and you're playing mm-hmm. it by yourself and mm-hmm. you need it's a two-player board game mm-hmm. Uh, there's only so much you can do. That's a great analogy. So it's, it's almost like you can't force anyone to want to, you can't force anyone to go to the office or to seek treatment or to go with you or do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's why that's the number one thing people think like, Oh, I'm going to be able to change him or he's going to change. Nobody changes. People Mm -hmm. change because they, they feel uncomfortable with how things are at the moment. That's something that they realize. And then they, do whatever it is that they need to change that mm-hmm. because they want to, not because mm-hmm. you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about the stigmas of, of going to a counselor, would you say it's a misconception that when you go, that the, the, that person is telling these folks what to do, that it's, that that's not necessarily how it goes. And, and that, you know, it's telling somebody their business as if I feel like people view it as a, oh, I'm going to this person and they're going to go gossip and tell all of my business when there's really a confidentiality um, agreement there where, you know, this is really a safe place, not necessarily someplace. This is not like, not like going to talk to your friends over mm-hmm. dinner and then your friend goes and tells their friend and who tells right. their friend and it comes right. back. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I see so many cases. I really, you know, your story is, is not, um, you know, that juicy for me to go gossip to other people, <laughs> if I say, you know, and, and to me, it's like, you mentioned the confidentiality, it, mm-hmm. that piece is, is just so important. Um, I just, I don't really feel the need to really have to go tell anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, there's that base mi- misconception about the whole gossip and intrusive feeling mm-hmm. of someone's going to know my business. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like when you go get a dental cleaning or when you go to a doctor to check something, you know, that's wrong with your foot or whatever the case may be, it, why don't you find that intrusive, right? right. Like it's, it's this almost like kind of the same thing. Um, Lord knows there's nothing more intrusive than going for a gynecology appointment. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Lord. Yeah. And I will say, because I, because I do suffer from anxiety and depression have been in counseling. And for me, I always felt after my sessions relief, Mm -hmm. I felt in a place where I was being heard. So if I ever felt that I was having a conversation with maybe the person I was dealing with an issue with or whatever it may have been, I was dealing with at that time, going to counseling made me feel lighter. Like I was so heavy walking into that door. And when I came out, I was lighter. I was able to kind of face the world. It's kind of like I had another coat of armor on and I'm able to go out there. And it wasn't that my counselor told me anything that I didn't already know, but being able to release 
And just to have someone listen mm -hmm. and not have, okay, well, I think this because, mm -hmm. you know, but really just what it is, just taking it at face value and being able to tell me whether I was wrong or whether I should look at things differently, but it just made me feel better. Right, right. And I mean, that's another, you know, that's, that's good, right? Because a good counselor will never tell you, you need to do this, or you need mm -hmm. to do that. We explore a lot of different avenues. And mm -hmm. you are the expert in your life. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to I don't want that responsibility. Right. I need, I'm with you. I'm walking that path with you to guide you to wherever it is that you need to go. Um, so I think that's another big misconception, like, oh, someone's going to tell me what to do with my life. I don't want anyone to, you know, to do that. And we definitely don't, you know, the people that have gone to counseling and have a good counselor, we just don't do that. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I've been to my fair share of, uh, counseling sessions. And I, I found that even whatever the root issue was that I, that I went for, in talking to a counselor, it started delving into other things that were starting to tag along mm -hmm. into that issue and just um, feeling angry. Um, one, I guess one trauma triggering all the others and, and then all of it mm -hmm. becoming overwhelming and um, being able to sit and talk to someone and explore that. Mm -hmm. And not, not, it wasn't something that I thought I would, I don't think I would have gotten there to that place without someone else taking yeah. me there. Definitely. I mean, I've gone to counseling myself for, for individually. I've gone, you know, um, as for family counseling with my mom, I've gone to couples counseling and each session or each, um, type of counseling <clears throat> is different in its own dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can definitely say, I know how it feels to be on the other side. Um, I think for me, I'm more of like, you know, now when I see someone doing good work, I'm like a fan. I'm like, Oh, didn't think of that. Oh, that technique mm -hmm. is so good right there. Um, or it's kind of hard for me to like, don't, you know, stop thinking like a therapist. Right. Um, but I can definitely appreciate, you know, that a another point I wanted to bring up is I I've had clients tell me, uh, you know, this is a situation. What do you think I should do? And I look at them like, I don't know what you should do. You need to know what you, right. that's why you're here. I, I can't tell you, you know, what to do. Yeah, you, we can explore different options, but at the end of the day, when you walk out of my office, it is whatever it is that you want to do. So you really just want to give people like the tools to be empowered mm -hmm. to take control of their own life and make their own life decisions, but make the best decisions for them. It sounds mm -hmm. like yeah. in a safe place. Mm -hmm. and that's, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that if your place where you are dealing with these issues was so safe, mm -hmm. you would express these things. But obviously it's not a place where you feel comfortable mm -hmm. or you're not. I mean, it's just a lot that goes into it. We hold so much in. It's like that explosive thing, like depending on who you're talking to any little thing could trigger you and that mm -hmm. safe space, that individual doesn't know you. They haven't experienced some of the things, you know, so they're there just for you in that situation of being able to talk to you. And I, I know for me, I always lost track of time. I was mm. like, that's it. It's time's over already. <laughs> but but it, it does happen. It's just that safe space that makes it that much easier to be able to kind of. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, 
that's another you know thing that I find so beautiful about this field, right? It's mm-hmm. you get someone that's at their lowest point, at the lowest mm-hmm. of the low, and you know someone that's consistent and willing to work and keeps coming back week after week. You see that growth, mm-hmm. and you're doing the growth with them, right? Yeah. And you're yeah. just like watching this, like almost like a plant. You're like ah, and you're so <laughs> excited with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have those aha moments where you know something makes a connection with another part of you know a trauma or something that happened and you can see the person's head like (laughs) (laughs) and you're like yes (laughs) thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of her crown podcast and please subscribe like and share if you care until next time let's remain supreme queens